The word of God today is don't give up. Everybody say, don't give up. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't give up. If you don't give up, you are going to make it. And as the Lord was showing me this message, it's out of 1 Samuel chapter 30. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over there. It's the story of, of King David. He would have been anointed king, but he wasn't installed in as a king yet. Saul was still the king. But some things didn't go quite the way he thought that they would. And we've all been there and done that. And everything is relevant to where we are in the situation of life. And in 1 Samuel chapter 30, it's talking about the story of David and his men. They, they really were hiding from Saul. And they were hiding out even though God had told him what he was going to do with his life. But it wasn't working out quite that way. Have you ever been there? Turn to your name and say, I've been there. It, it isn't working out quite like I thought God said it would, but you know what God said. And so, and so Saul is, is after David and David is hiding and he's, 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 of all places, he has picked a place where the Philistines, the mortal enemy of Israel is, is owning and occupying all of the land. And this is his home called Ziklag. And he's made kind of somewhat of a covenant with the enemy that they're going to leave him alone. He'll leave them alone. And this is where he's going to live. And, and all of a sudden, a situation develops in his life like none that he'd ever experienced before. How many of you have gone from time to time where you're facing a situation where you know the will of God, but you just don't know what to do? Because it seems like all around you, all hell has broken loose. Uh, the, those situations and circumstances that seem to change at a moment's notice. And, and David had gone out to fight with the Philistines, something that probably in his right mind he might never have done but for whatever reason he decided to join with them and he left Ziklag with all of his men and he and he went out to war and then when he got there, the Philistines looked at him and the leaders and the princes and they said, wait a minute, you're a Hebrew. You're part of, you're part of Saul. You used to serve Saul. We don't want you here. Once we start defeating the, Israels, the Israelites, you know, you could turn on us and be part of them. So they sent them all back. So now he's going to get ready to go into battle. He's all excited about the battle that he's going into and he's told that he's not going to be able to be used. You ever been there, get excited about something only to get deflated real quickly. Can I see the hands? Make sure we got all the right people here today. And so he's all ready to go and now he's deflated. And it says in the word of God that the battle was about 50 miles away from where he lived in Ziklag. So he's coming back home into Ziklag with all of his men, his fighting men. He's got 600 men with him and they all love and adore him. How many of you got some people that love and adore you? Don't think of the ones that don't care about you at all. Just think of the ones who love and adore you. You know there's somebody. If you're a grandparent, you know what I'm talking about. We took two, no, how many, we took Three of our grandchildren to Lake Michigan yesterday and went shopping and went to some other places and just had a ball with them. What is it? How old is Molly? Five years old. I think I could live forever with five-year-olds. There are just something about them. Number one, they think you can do no wrong as a grandparent. And number two, they're just funny all of the time. Would you buy her two pair of shoes? Yeah, Pam, Pam thinks that the more shoes you buy when you get a discount, the better deal it is. It's, it sounds to me like it's a lot more money, but somehow we spent a whole lot more money and it was a lot cheaper. I've still not been able to figure that one out, but that's, that's okay. The most important thing is when you hit the shoes on the ground, they go 
bonkers with all sorts of lights, and they light up, and it's... <laughs> Pam looked at me and said, I don't know how her kindergarten teacher's going to feel when she comes to school. It looks like an explosion on her feet. <laughs> but but it, was a, it was a great day. But, but all of us have been in situations where it just didn't work out the way we thought it would. And in 1 Samuel chapter 30, I want to read this to you because it's so important. When David came back home, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse... Uh, uh, verse number four, that they found that there, well, actually it goes from First uh, Samuel 31 through four, but it says that the, the city of Ziklag had been burned, attacked. All of the wives, all of the children, everything living had been captured and taken away and that there was nothing left. And it said, David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices in verse number four, and they wept until they had no more power to weep. That's a lot of weeping. And David's two wives were gone and the children and everything. And all of us have been there where in a moment's notice, it seemed like everything that you were believing for was gone. Let's all say, I've been there, done that. Turn to your neighbor and say, I've been there, done that. And at that moment, you are going to determine what you're going to do with your life. You have an opportunity to quit or you have an opportunity to go on. And David made a decision. The decision was made in total duress because the men that were with him, 600 men who loved and adored him, in a moment's notice, and it doesn't say all 600, but we're led to believe that, all of them began to speak of stoning and killing David, their leader, the person that they had esteemed highly because of what they saw. They all saw the challenge. They all saw the situation and circumstance, and they were grieved in their spirit. When, when things turn contrary to what we believe for, we have to be encouraged. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have to be encouraged. Now, I know once I say this, it's going to be, well, that makes sense to me. It is impossible to be discouraged if you are encouraged. Turn to your neighbor and say, you'll get that in a minute. It is possible, it is impossible to be discouraged if you are Encouraged. Does that make sense? Can I see the hands of all the people? You say, that makes sense to me? Okay, so then what we have to do is to make a decision. I am not going to look at the circumstances because circumstances can make you discouraged. But you will always be encouraged if you're looking at what did God say. God has not abandoned me, even though I don't seem to know what to do. And David was in that position. But it says in verse number six, and this is the key, because, see, discouragement always comes to us when we focus on the challenge. And Pam, I didn't mean to use you as the whole sermon here, but I'll, I'll come back to you again. When that moment happened to you, this is really important because this is your job this is your livelihood. One moment you believe you're doing a great job. The next moment they tell you your job is eliminated and your mind has the choice to focus on all the reasons why it shouldn't be eliminated, why I should stay, why they should continue to keep me, all of the things I did. And the bottom line is 
you don't have a job. <laughs> Pam does not have a job. So her focus has to be encouraged. Does that make sense to you? In other words, she's got to encourage herself in the Lord, which we're going to read about what David did in just a moment. Because if we don't do that, you will begin to look at things that discourage you. When I drive down that build, by that building on 52, I can become encouraged or discouraged in a moment. I become discouraged if I think about what the powers and authorities in this world have told me. I become encouraged if I think about what God said. Duh, turn to your neighbor and say, that's a no-brainer. In other words, we get on the road of encouragement, not the road of discouragement, but both roads are available to us. It was a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was sharing a message and I forget exactly what the message was right now, but it was basically about how at one time I had been in debt $30,000 and that God supernaturally delivered us, but it didn't happen overnight. And someone in the church came up and told me, said, that was nothing to me. I was $2 million in debt. And uh, they, they were talking. Everything is relevant. Is that true? Everything is relevant to where you stand. You might look at Pam and say, that's no big deal. My goodness, you ought to see what I'm facing. Turn to your neighbor and say, I can up that. You know, there's a one-upmanship of, yeah, what you're facing is nothing. What I'm facing, for you, it is something. And what you've got to do is do what David did. And in verse number six, it says, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. But because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his son and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. What do we need to do? We need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. What did God say? What is it that I'm going to do? You see, if you don't quit, you're going to make it. Tell your neighbor, if you don't quit, you're going to make it. I think about examples that uh, over the years that Pam and I have been uh, privy to and that we have experienced and that we have seen, and, uh, and then certainly out of the Word of God. You know, in Numbers chapter 13, God has always wanted to bless his people. God wants to bless you. God wants all of his blessings to come upon you and overtake you. And when you face obstacles and situations and circumstances that you don't know what to do, God is going to show you what to do if you encourage yourself in the Lord. And in Numbers chapter 13, most of you know this story, but it's the story about the promised land and the children of God and how God told them he was going to give them that land. And when he sent out the 12 spies, two of the spies came back with a good report. Ten of the spies came back with a bad report, but all of the spies saw the same thing. You with me? Let's all say they all saw the same thing. But they processed it differently. Two of the spies came back with the report, yep, there are giants in the land. Yep, everything in there is really something. However, God said that we can have this land. So in Numbers chapter 13, they said, we are well able. Everybody say, we are well able. Ten of the spies came back, and they said, we are not able. They were looking at themselves alone against the giants and the circumstances and the situation. They went down the road of discouragement, and they discouraged people. Discouragement is contagious. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, discouragement is contagious. And that if you stay encouraged, you will never be discouraged. But if you stay discouraged, you will never be encouraged. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is one simple message. 
I tell you what, it is so important in life. If you are encouraged, you will never be discouraged. But because of the ten spies and their influence, they were able to influence all of the people, and they never, ever went into the promised land, the people, other than Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb went in, but only after wandering in the desert for 40 years. Sue, I know you've taught the Old Covenant, and I've always wondered, it just never seemed fair to Joshua and Caleb. They were the good guys in this whole situation, and they were the ones that had to wander in the desert and the wilderness for 40 years also before they went in, but they didn't get in either, even though they had the good report. But the Word of God was true. They didn't quit. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't quit. All through the Bible, you can look at situations and circumstances where people just would not quit. And what we've got to do is get to the point in our lives when we say, you know what, no matter what happens, no matter what the situation, I'm not going to give up on what I know God's will is. God's will is to bless me. God's will is to take care of me financially. God's will is to restore in my life. God's will is to give me peace of mind. God's will is that I not be anxious and worried and troubled about anything, but that I would focus upon what he has shown me so that we can run the race that he has set before that for us. Can you say amen to that? Now, what happens is we've got to get to the point when we are not going to be moved by things that don't seem to line up with the will of God. And I, and I was thinking as I was doing this message about Pastor Stanley, he's up in Cairo. This is not, we, do we have visitors here? We, you are, so you all know who Pastor Stanley is. Maybe a couple of visitors. Pastor Stanley is is uh, the gentleman we support in the Sudan, South Sudan orphanage of 150 children right now, a school of a thousand on the base, about 250 back on the orphanage, and and, and influencing the government of the South Sudan. I, I, when I when I was praying about this message, I started to weep because I was thinking, Oh God, you are so good. We we are using bags in the South Sudan right now that we have purchased through this church. And I don't know if I've ever mentioned it or not. I think I have. But it was a bag that was developed at Purdue University. And it's a, it's a special type of bag agriculturally that kills the insects that are in basically the, the, the agricultural stuff that you store in them. And they're being used all over the world right now. And we were able through Dr. Lohenberg De Beer to purchase some of these bags and even talk to them about building a bag manufacturing plant over there in the South Sudan. And, and we're still talking to them about that. And, and Dr. Labir's in Nigeria right now. But I just read an agricultural report the other day because some of those reports get back to the foundation who underwrote all of this. And uh, the, now the bags are being distributed through us, through Pastor Stanley in, in the South Sudan, in Ye South Sudan, and that they're be very successful. And that the Gates Foundation, who is watching what's happening, has just given Purdue University to continue this project $20 million. When I saw that, and I thought, whoa, Pastor Stanley has been involved in so much over there, and God supernaturally connected us to him. When he was in Cairo back in the, in the 80s, or 1980-something, or I forget the exact year, and he got saved and went to Victory Bible Institute, and he said God told him to go back home. He had a chance to go to Canada. He said, go back home. I want you to help rescue your people, your nation. So he goes back home, and he gets thrown into prison. How many of you realize that does not look like the right thing? And he gets thrown into prison, and, and in Uganda, 
<laughs> in Uganda. <laughs> right around there, yeah. <laughs> Paul, some of you will never go to prison. But Paul did some of his greatest writing in prison. And, and so what happens is we get, we, 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 he's, he's in prison, and he told me this story later on. He said, then finally they release us from prison. I said, what was prison like? He said, you don't want to know. He said, this is every man for himself. He said, it's horrible. He said, so then we finally get across the border, come into the South Sudan, and they throw me in prison again because they think I'm a spy. Uganda thought I was a spy, and now South Sudan thinks I'm a spy. Nobody has paperwork. Nobody has credentials. So he goes into prison again. So here he is doing what God told him to do, and he goes from one prison to the next prison. Let me see the hands of all the people who you've moved out to do what God told you to do. And it seemed like all hell broke loose when you were following that little prayer journal. Can I see your hands? And, and what, you ran out of money, you ran out of friends, you ran out of influence, you ran out of what? But you did not run out of God. Tell your neighbor, you didn't run out of God. And David strengthened himself in the Lord, and Stanley said the same thing. He said, I strengthened myself in the Lord. What would have happened if Stanley quit? Where would those 150 orphans be today? Where would that situation be with 1,000 children in that school? He didn't quit, even though he told me, I felt like quitting all the time. And what happened was he was on the verge of quitting when we met him in Juba and didn't know it. And God said, go to Juba, and you'll, you'll, you, I want you to help this person. And all of a sudden, Stanley shows up, and we're able to help him along the way because we didn't quit along the way, and you didn't quit along the way because you're part of all of this. Does that make sense to you? If you don't quit, you're going to make it. And what happens is you get so focused on what God said, and when Samuel excuse me, when, when David consulted the Lord and he said, bring me the ephod. I, I, he, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, bring me the ephod. I don't know what to do. I'm not even sure they're alive. They're probably captured. That was the custom back then. Capture the women, capture the children, turn them into slaves, capture, you know, all those types of things. And, and his men want to stone them and he doesn't know what to do. So he tries to shut himself off with the Lord so he can hear clearly from the Lord. Let's all say that's a great idea. You know, I think about Billy Joe Doherty when that time, it, when we were there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we didn't know it. You would never know it, being around that man. Three million dollars in debt, couldn't meet payroll, couldn't pay the bills, and it looked like the ministry was going under. And when he consulted the Lord, God said, you made a mistake, and you made the wrong decision. How many of you realize that would be a tough boat to be in? Not only did he didn't hear a good word, he heard a word, well, it was a good word, but he heard that he'd gone the wrong direction. And once he repented and got on the right road and encouraged himself in the Lord, God sent the richest man in America, and at that time probably the world, Sam Walton, to buy that old building they had going the wrong direction, to take a $3 million debt and wipe it out and give them an extra $100,000. And they went from $3 million in debt to $100,000 in the bank. How many of you would like to be that? Turn to and say, let it be me, Lord. Think about that scene from Fiddler on the Roof when uh, whatever that guy is, and he says, money is a curse, and if it's so, God, would you curse me a little bit? <laughs> you, you know, there's nothing wrong with having money as long as money doesn't have you. But when I think about that miracle, $3 million in debt in one moment's time to $100,000 positive cash in the bank, and the door's opening for the rest of the miracle. Tell your neighbor, God's got a miracle for you. If you don't give up, he's going to do it. And when God, when, when David spoke, uh, asked the Lord, what should I do? God said, pursue and you will recover everything. 
you will recover all. And some of you have some pursuing to do because the enemy's taken things from you. But God is going to bring it back to you, and he's going to overtake you with his blessings because you hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God. God's got a plan for you. And every time you need a miracle, your miracle is there when you strengthen yourself and encourage yourself in the Lord and say, God, what is it that I should do? And God says, pursue. There are things that sometimes all of us go through, Pam and I go through, and I'll write in my prayer journal what I think the Lord says, and I'll show, I'll show it to Pam, and I'll say, honey, this is what I feel like God's saying. Does it bear witness with your spirit? And she'll say, yeah, that bears witness with me. And I say, well, we've got to close her eyes because I don't see any of it. Hallelujah. <laughs> this, this happened just the other day. I, I was praying, and we are talking about the building, and I said, you know, if we get that building, it'll be a miracle. And then I'm thinking, duh, the whole thing has been a miracle. It's the whole thing. There's something in me, and I think in you too, that you would like to do what God tells you to do yourself. But you don't know how or you can't. Does that make sense? I was talking to Stanley the other day, and I don't know what Lisa Gahab was necessarily saying the other day, but she came up to me afterwards and she said well what would you do if you had 10 million dollars it was after i was talking about an inheritance and i said oh i would spend it quickly <laughs> i don't what's in my spirit number one would buy stanley a home that's a hundred thousand dollars or ninety some thousand dollars and uh, and 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 would build a plant over there and would start rice processing which we're going to look at a plant similar to that down in oklahoma and uh, would start that and then so and then stanley asked me one day he said well <laughs> you appreciate this how many of you realize god floods you with things that are beyond your ability and that you need a miracle. Turn to your neighbor and say, you always need a miracle. What we try to do is figure it out ourselves, and we can't. I could never figure out how we went to Tulsa. We had no money when we went to Tulsa. We had no money when we lived in Tulsa. We've never had any money, but we've always had. God has. You all know what I'm talking about? God's got a lot of money. We've never had a lot of money. It's like, it's like having money in a bank that you don't have access to unless he tells you you can withdraw it. But when he tells you to withdraw it, it's all there. First outreach, $12,000 for the sedan. Second outreach, $50,000. Third outreach, $70,000 beyond all of us. I remember meeting with the three guys on the second outreach of the golf tournament. I think it was Dan, Pete, and Tom Blumley. And we said $50,000. And I remember some Somebody said, how are we going to do that? And I said, I have no idea, but God does. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's smarter than you. And so what happens is we get to the point when our total focus is upon what God has for us. And every need was always met. It was never met. But I don't like constantly living in the realm of having to see a miracle because I can't have any control. So if it was my choice, I would say, God, I would like a little bit more control. But I believe God has said you do have control. He wants you to stay encouraged based on what he said. So I'm tired. I haven't forgot my story. I'm back with Pastor Stanley. And Pastor Stanley saying, saying, well, you know, if we do that rice plant uh, over there, he says, the problem we have, I said, we'll take it in the famine areas. We'll take care of everything. And, and, and instantly, uh, instantly uh, he said, or he said, rather, I said instantly in a moment. He said, the road system is so bad, we can't get the rice distributed. And I said, well, we'll take care of that. And he said, what do we do? And I said, we'll use helicopters. He says, where are we going to get helicopters? I said, I don't know, but I see them flying all the time when I'm over there. They're there somewhere. He said, he says, they're expensive. I said, God's got a lot of money. And he says, well, yeah, that's true. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God's got a lot of money. 
the United Nations can afford helicopters. Why couldn't we as God's children have helicopters? And so then Lisa sent $10 million. I'm thinking, well, a helicopter costs about a million dollars. Well, heck, I got $10 million to work with. I'm sorry? Helicopters? Oh, 50000 for a used helicopter? I want a newer one. I, think, I, I don't want to go down a helicopter. How much for the newer one? Lisa's already Googling helicopters. I'll, yeah, give the Lord a Lisa is Googling helicopters. So I'm having lunch. I'm, now, I'm not saying this is God. I'm just telling you how my mind's working and how my spirit... So I'm having lunch with Don one day, and Don's a pilot. And uh, so I say, Don, you know how to fly helicopters? He said, no. And I said, well, it can't be that hard. If you fly a plane, you fly, fly a helicopter. And he says, well, maybe, because he's always felt called to missions and to, and to fly. And I'm thinking, well, well, the blade goes this way, or the blade goes that way. It doesn't matter. It's just going <laughs> to fly through the air, and it's going to take rice everywhere that you have need of it. And, and we're only limited by our encouragement and the financial cash flow. And when I went to the Sudan the first time, you all know this, and I met Stanley, and we're running out of time, aren't we? What time is it? Gosh, I'm having fun. This is good for me because I need to hear this. (laughs) Because every time I come to the stalemate, it's like you're walking up to it and said, duh, I need a lot of money. I need a lot of money. I need a lot of money. No, you need more encouragement in the Lord. But what happens is when you start to look at those figures, and pretty soon you got up to a quarter of a million dollars to a half a million dollars to whatever, say, I don't have it. And it's like God is screaming, I do, just do what I've called you to do. And so when we first met Stanley, and I hear this, this is what I heard. He needs cash flow. And I think, oh, that can't be God. That's my business background kicking in. Cash flow, that's, that doesn't even sound spiritual, does it? Money is the root of all. No, the love of money is the root of all evil. Glory to God. Yeah, I, I say this all the time. I probably said it the last couple of weeks ago. But John Osteen said, I've been rich. I've been poor. I prefer rich. <laughs> turn, turn to your neighbor and say, I've been rich and I've been poor. But I prefer rich. <laughs> Because when you got the cash flow coming, you can do whatever it is. And it's like the Lord was saying to me, who told you you don't have it coming? And it's like with my natural eyes, I can't see it. I have never, when we first looked at that building, and they won $15 million. And I told Pam, I said, I wouldn't give somebody $15 million for a building. We got, we got other places we can use that $15 million. I could see somebody giving us a building. And then this guy comes along, Pastor Sacks and, and said, I believe it would be God's will if I give you that building. I just don't know how. Say, God, show him how. <laughs> show him how, God. Show him how. I'm praying for Mr. Sack. 80-some years old, fought in the Battle of the Balls. Wonderful, wonderful man. And he says, I think it's God's will that I give you the building because it will be a feather in my cap when I get to heaven. Oh, God, that's a miracle. That is an absolute miracle of God. And see, God's got a miracle coming for you, too. And the rest of 1 Samuel chapter 30 is when Daniel, or excuse me, when David did what God told him to do, he pursued and he captured everything back. He, he got, he recovered, it says he recovered all. Why? Because he encouraged himself in the Lord. And the same thing is true for you. You encourage yourself in the Lord and all of the blessings of God will come upon you and overtake you. Pastor Doherty, long after the situation that I told you about of the $3 million, used to tell the story. Going through it, 
He never talked about it. I don't remember him ever talking about it. But he said it was one of the potentially most discouraging times in his life. A ministry, $3 million in debt, not able to service the debt load, not able to pay the payroll, not able to take care of the expenses, and God saying, and by the way, you've made a mistake, you've missed me. And he just encouraged himself in the Lord and said, God, what do I do? And God said, sell the building, get out of debt, don't ever get in debt again, and I will take care of everything. And now if you've ever been to Tulsa, Oklahoma, because of the encouragement in the Lord and from the Lord of one man, they have a multi-million dollar building totally built debt-free, impacting the entire world. What would have happened if he ever quit? What would have happened if Pastor Stanley ever quit? What would happen if you quit on the plan that God has for your life? You don't know how many people are hanging in the balance. And you and I are called to be encouragers. But you can never be an encourager without being encouraged. If you're discouraged, you'll not be used by God to encourage. The most important thing is that you encourage people everywhere that you go. Because God is going to restore, this is scriptural, everything the devil has ever taken from you. God is going to restore it. You are going to recover everything sevenfold because the enemy cannot hold on to what God's, what belongs to God. And as children of God, we are going to accomplish every single thing that God has called us to accomplish because God is in the miracle working business. God wants all the credit. Let's stand to our feet and he will get all of the credit. He will get all of the glory. He will get all of the honor because God is going before us and he's preparing the way. You and I, the greatest thing that we can do is trust God, become encouraged in what God has said. And said, somehow, someway, God, I know you're going to turn this around. And I know you're going to use it for good. Because in my life, I've seen this happen over and over again. And that's Romans 8, 28. That God will use all things for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And today, I believe there are many of you here that are going through situations and circumstances that to you are really important. They're situations of, of, of just almost like a dead end where you don't know what to do, but you know that God can perform a miracle and bring you through. And that is exactly what God wants to do. Would you bow your head with me just for a moment? All over this church, I know we have some visitors with us today. But you may have already been part of this church for a while, but you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart and take control of your life. And all over this church, if you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, if I died today, I don't know that I would go to be with Jesus. Then let this be the day that your life is settled for eternity. Maybe you've never acknowledged Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here today and you, you're like that prodigal, prodigal in the Bible. You know that you've walked away from the things of God. Let today be the day that you come home. Let today be the day that you give your life back to the Lord. And all over this church, if I've described you and you say, that's me, I, I know my life isn't right with God. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. 
and we're going to pray for you. We'll wait just a moment, give the Holy Spirit a chance to, to move on every heart. Is there anyone at all? You'd say, you've described me, Lord. You, Pastor, I, I know my life isn't right with God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, while we're still bowed in prayer, how many of you would say, I believe this message today was for me. Can I see your hands? Now, how many of you are here? You can take them down while we're still in prayer. How many of you are here and you say, I know that I am fighting off discouragement in this area of my life. Can I see your hands? Yeah, yeah. I want every single person you say, I know that I am continually fighting discouragement. I want you to quickly come to the altar real quick. Come out of your seats right there. I believe the anointing of God is here. Pam, come on up here with me. I believe the anointing of God is here to break discouragement off of your life. But what you have to do is to allow yourself to become encouraged once the discouragement goes. Because if you don't fill the void of discouragement with encouragement in the Lord, the discouragement will try to come right back. The fact that you become encouraged does not mean the situation and circumstance is going to change. It means the way you view the situation and circumstance is going to change. Does that make sense? Dan and Kelly, would you on the other end there pray? <clears throat> Brad and Sandy, come on up here. Pam, let's pray for these at the altar. Stretch your hands out toward these at this altar. We command discouragement. Yeah, go ahead and pray for them. We command discouragement off of every life in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that just as David encouraged himself in the Lord, that every single person at this altar would do the same thing. We bind discouragement in the name of Jesus. We hope this message encouraged you. Victor Christian Center is passionate about sharing the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus. Learn more about us at victorylafayette.org. If you don't know Jesus or maybe you've gotten distracted and stopped following Him, I'd like to pray for you right now. The most important decision you'll ever make involves accepting the love of Jesus and His gift of new life. I'd invite you to make this prayer your own and take this opportunity to begin to follow Jesus. God, I ask you to reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I ask you to forgive the sin in my life that has kept me from enjoying a relationship with you. Give me a fresh start by changing my life and helping me to follow you from this point forward. I accept your love through Jesus and I commit to trust your plan for my life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you've prayed this prayer for the first time, please get in touch with us and let us know. To learn more about Victory or to contact us, visit us online at victorylafayette.org.